Welcome to the world of Dracul. This is a story of a young woman who came into contact with a mysterious man named Dracul at a ball held in Romania. As her story begins with her first encounter with Dracul, his story unravels as their relationship grows. Previously on Dracul, Catherine went to go check in on Dracul to see how he was doing after nearly dying earlier in the day. Once she did, she was shocked to see what state his room was in, as it was the complete opposite of what she had expected from him. They sat down and chatted for a short while as he began lavishing her with compliments. After telling her that he was glamoured by her, which she didn't seem to take seriously, his eyes began to change and reflect her eye colour. Warning, this episode contains themes of suicide. Catherine had gotten up from Dracul's bed, making her way towards her room. Memories of last night's events flooded her mind, causing her to blush as she changed her menstrual apron cotton cloth. Perhaps she shouldn't have left her guard down so easily around him. After all, she is still very much in love with him. I mean, I don't know why, though. He has brought her a life of stress since he showed up. And to top it off, he can't really reciprocate her feelings entirely. However, it was incredibly odd to see his eyes mimic hers. The whole reason being that he is now completely and utterly glamored by her. You see, my friendly listener friends of mine who listen ever so friendly, Dracul only suspected he was glamored by her for some time now, but was in denial for the most part, since theoretically it wasn't possible. Last night, however, Dracul fully accepted this spell of some sort, causing the full effects of glamour to set in. As Catherine began to theorize the possibilities of this anomaly, which we know, <laughs> Zazu squawked at her with a displeased expression. Catherine shrunk. I know, I know, Zazu, I shouldn't have. I just... It seems that my feelings for him are still real and just as demanding as they first were. I can't help but... Love him. Slumping against the wall, she dropped her head into her hands as Azu landed on her knees, nudging her. A cloud of magic surrounded Catherine as she looked up to see this red, blue green and yellow message in front of her. Small figures formed as she looked closer. People were dancing and chattering as music played from a small string quartet along the side of the cloud. Catherine gasped. <gasps> the ball! I must hurry to meet Wumain and Lady soon in town square. Hurriedly, she ripped her nightgown off and dressed in a fine rose-colored gown hanging in her closet for ages now. It was one of the few gowns she had saved from her mother's closet, finally fitting her now with a bit of wiggle room. She always wondered who lived in that small cobblestone house now that she was with Dracul, but 
as of right now, she couldn't afford to linger, as she had to leave the very next minute or so. The coach rode along the same road to get onto this cold, old, ancient cobblestone house located just a ways away from town square. It seemed long and harrowing, perhaps due to the fact that she hadn't made her way back since Funani brought her to get an espresso. However, if I may put in my own two cents, I believe it was simply because her mind was occupied with Dracul's changed demeanor upon entering his room. The normally proud and stagnant Dracul was literally bending against his own will, wanting to be as close to her as possible, noticing every little change within her, including the delectable scent of running blood. His arched, furrowed brows were relaxed as he gazed upon her, though a small furrow between the two remained from centuries of pain. His cupid bow had become more prominent as he closed in the space between them, pressing against her body underneath the- Okay! Anyway, we're suddenly in town square. Woo! Isn't that crazy? Just how time works in this universe. Speaking of change, when face to face with Lydia Wolf and Wumain Lausti, they looked incredibly different. Their layers of makeup was no more, revealing their true yet still pale colors with now a simple rouge on their cheeks. Wumain Lausti had rounded eyebrows, giving her a sorrowful expression, but was contradicted with a bright smile surrounded by orange lipstick. Her pompous green gown complemented her tall, slender body as yellow frills came down alongside the dress, touching the floor. Lydia Woof, on the other hand, had quite angular eyebrows, brown eyeshadow, and maroon lipstick around her toothy smile. She wore an ornate blue gown with the same yellow frills that hugged her stubby frame quite nicely. Both had their hair in high cottage loaf pompadours, granting them a few inches of height to further show their rise of status. Upon recognition, the three waved and joyously hugged one another, ecstatic to be reconciled. Oh, my darling girl, Wumain Lausti fanned herself in excitement. It has been too long since we have seen you. Oh, yes, indeed. I was so eager with every letter you sent, my dear, dear girl, Lady Wolf chimed in. Oh, what a lovely gown. Have you eaten yet? No? Oh, my dear, you must eat right away. Otherwise, your countenance may once again be as gaunt as Lausty's. Lausty whacked Wolf with her fan. Careful, my darling. You shan't wish to eat too much, or you'll end up as plump as this one. The two laughed at each other, though their humor was still unusual to Catherine. All joined arms and marched into the same cafe Funani had taken her several, several days ago. It was time for not just coffee, but to spill some tea. Catherine had learned that both Alwuf and Lausti scored some splendidly fine gentlemen with deep pockets as they praised their heavy makeup, claiming it to be the reason they caught these men's eyes. According to them, these grooms-to-be were brothers who studied law and became judges, both late in their forties. They lavished the two with gifts every day when possible, and in order to repay them, both Alwuf and Lausti claimed to treat them very well in their respective homes. However, before they could get into 
that detail, they turned the topic to Catherine, asking her how things were going with Rakul. Catherine informed them that their relationship was a roller coaster, and though he cares for her, she is still unsure of their future. They learned that the minute Catherine tried to move on from him and start her life anew, Dracul was a complete and utter mess who tried, and is still trying, to win her affection to this day. Oh, that is marvelous news, darling. You shall not bend over backwards for any man, not even a devilishly handsome one as he. I'm glad to know that you're setting your sweet foot down. I wasn't sure you had it in you to do so, woman Lousty fanned herself. It's true, my dear. You are of utmost importance to us both, and you must keep your foot down until he is practically kissing your feet. We will get you looking absolutely gorgeous for the ball this evening, just to hammer the final nail into the coffin. Well, if I'm being honest, Catherine admitted, I did slip a little last night. I visited his quarters, and we, um... Despite this little detail, the two rambled on about the different styles Catherine would look gorgeous in, sharing looks that were foreign to Catherine. At one point, their eyes lingered on one another's for a moment longer than they should have, but before anyone could say anything, two men were causing an uproar whilst being kicked out of the cafe, complaining about some amazing brutally honest and wonderfully beautiful narrator. Humored, the three finished up their meals and left for a cosmetic store nearby. Both Laustan and Aloof spoke highly of the woman in charge of the shop, complimenting her pursued talent in makeup and high fashion. The more they spoke, the more the excitement grew within Catherine as she hoped to look as brand new as she recently started feeling. It was high noon when they entered, greeted by a woman in red who was eager to help in any way she could. Upon hearing men issues, the woman nodded, sauntering to her cabinet. She took out a small vial that read Aqua Zofana across the top. Swiftly, Wumain Lausti pushed the woman's arms towards her, telling her that it wasn't that type of man issue. Putting the vial away, she moved towards some other cosmetics, beckoning Catherine to follow so she could tell her what fashion she was into. Under her breath, Catherine asked what that whole Agua Tofu Santa or whatever was all about. Lady Gal Woof chuckled nervously. Oh, it's just a rather strong blemish ointment that would be too harsh on your thin skin. Now, come along, the nice lady is calling us. Catherine informed the woman that she was hoping for a natural but fashionable look, for she had to go to a ball this evening. Lofsty and Elwoof sat down on a lounge chair and talked and gossiped their little hearts out. Not much time passed before the woman had worked her magic, but yet her two friends still fell asleep, resting their heads on one another. Once the makeup was completed, the woman guided Catherine to a mirror. Her eyes widened, surprised to see how lively she looked. She had smoother skin and coral blush along the apples of her cheek, giving her a very youthful appearance. Her now curved eyelashes were long and jet black, making her vibrant blue eyes pop out more than before. 
Moving on to hair, the woman showed her several hairstyles and asked which Catherine liked the most. Many were incredibly pretentious and inflated, but one stuck out like a dead brown blade of grass in a green field of green grass and flowers. It was the Gibson girl hairstyle, which was superb at accentuating the wearer's facial features in an effortless and whimsical manner. It indeed framed Catherine quite charmingly. But ever so talented and splendid narrator, isn't a round hairdo not supposed to go with a round face? Well, I'm so giddied you asked. You see, in this day and age, round was the way to go. Round eyebrows, round face, rounded eyes, and rounded hair. Very different from today's angular makeup, but both still very beautiful in their own way. Does this make sense, beloved listener? A little, but I'm still confused. Good, let's carry on. The woman asked Catherine if she was interested in purchasing a dress as well, but she denied this offer when both Lausti and Alwuf awoke from their slumber. Upon seeing Catherine's dazzling new appearance, they rushed her aside and lavished her with compliments, insisting that they both purchase her a new dress. The woman informed the three that she had plenty of ready-made dresses in her back room if they were interested. She tried on a countless number of dresses until she found one that absolutely suited every aspect about her. Oh my dear, you look stunning. Yes, darling, you are ravishing in that dress. We will take it immediately. Giddy with excitement, Catherine changed back into her rose gown and went to pay for her cosmetic applications, whilst Laustina Wolf paid for the tailoring aspect. Once finished with their purchases, they rushed out of the shop, laughing and hugging one another. Any doubts of the ball Catherine had were far gone now, as she couldn't be more excited to share this day with her beloved friends. Preoccupied by the light-hearted banter, she hadn't noticed an elderly woman watching her closely from a dark alleyway, muttering something under her breath. While Catherine was out the entire day, Dracul slept in his coffin room, which was compromised now by the shattered wood that lay in the back of his regular room. He had planned to fix himself up a new door the night before, when Catherine had invited herself, changing his plans. As the evening neared, a dream, a memory, invaded his mind. Once again, he was Ulrich Agresti with his beloved confidant, Philippe. Fortunately in this dream, no one was dying, for both he and Philippe were only teens who knew of only worldly pleasures. Pleasures in which they found within each other. Philippe was dressing himself as Ulrich had barely risen from his bed. The sun was pouring through a decently sized window from the left of the messy room, illuminating the world around Ulrich, who lived in Romania at the time. Philippe, where are you headed in such a rush? I told you already, you menace, he chuckled. My mother asked that I go with her to see my aunt in Timisoara, who is visiting us from the Principate de Monacao. She wishes that I sage the room and rid of any evil spirits that lurk there to lighten her visit here. Ulrich scoffed. <laughs> you do know that all of that is simple trickery. Spirits. False pretense. He jumped up from the bed and held Philippe from behind. Stay with me just a little longer. I shall make you most happy. 
Philippe turned to face Yorick, embracing him wholly. What a tempting offer. Perhaps I shall indulge you this once, but be quick with it. Grinning, the two jumped back in Yorick's bed when suddenly the scene around them changed. They were much older now by a decade, both in their mid-twenties as Yorick was but a couple years older than Philippe. Though they were still at Yulrik's residence, the atmosphere had shifted. The room was much darker now as Yulrik's chest rose and fell, slowly and in pain, while Philippe stood a ways away from him. His brows furrowed, biting his bottom lip. It was obvious that Philippe was in distress, and Yulrik knew why. Yulrik, we cannot go on with these childish afflictions. Those were just days of exploring, days of foolishness. We must focus on building families and looking towards a brighter future. These words stabbed Ulrich straight through his heart as he looked down on the floor. Childish afflictions, he thought. Was that all this was? Exploring? He stumbled through his words. I... We... I have been focusing on a brighter future. I just thought we, that you were my brighter future. Philippe rubbed his face. Ulrich, you have and always will be my dearest friend. Of course, we'll still be in one another's future, perhaps not in the way you expected. I thought we had an understanding. You always talk of spirits, and I never once believed in you. But you, Philippe Diana, you have possessed me in ways I could not have imagined, in ways I wish to possess you. I'm sorry, Ulrich, but we cannot be. I do not feel the same. He made his way towards the door, lifting the handle. Do not hate me. Philippe had left Ulric there crying as he fell to the ground. There was a hole in his chest, prohibiting himself to breathe correctly as his eyes swelled with hot tears. His first heartbreak. Ulric had thought he experienced pain before, but none amounted to this. For months, he struggled to eat or sleep. Philippe had left to seek higher education in Florence, Italy, for he was able to afford it. After some time, they would exchange letters to one another through pigeon posts, but wouldn't meet until Philippe had finished his schooling several years later. Ulrich had been invited to attend Philippe's wedding as his best man, per se. He had heard numerous wonderful stories of this woman through letters, and since it had been so long since their separation, he figured he'd be fine enough to go. Even if he wasn't, though, he simply couldn't miss this day. He stood there, waiting for the groom and the bride to show up, when Philippe had turned the corner to walk down the aisle. Ulrich's heart skipped beat as his pupils dilated when he saw his longtime friend walk towards him. His mind went blank. Philippe embraced Ulrich, thanking him for coming to the most important day of his life when the bride walked down the aisle. Philippe's attention went solely to her. His knees nearly buckled from beneath him as he watched his beautiful bride make her way towards her future husband. A fearsome weight grew in Ulrich's throat as his stomach lit up. 
he wished he was walking down that flowery aisle towards Philippe, that he would be gawked at by his past lover, embraced by him, and a future full of divine love. But he wouldn't. Not by him. Years passed after that when Ulric moved to Livorno, Italy to stay close to Philippe. One day, the both of them were walking around a bustling town center crowded with people from inside and outside the country. Though he still had feelings for Philippe, he had successfully repressed them for years and hardly felt a thing now when face to face with the man. Philippe was rambling on about how he was nearing his dreams of opening a small shop when Ulrich had looked up to find a young, attractive woman staring his way, smiling. Stunned by her beauty, it took him a second to reciprocate the smile, which caused hers to grow, flirting with her eyes. The scene changed once more, and he held this woman in his arms, Veronica. They shared a deep and passionate kiss, her arms pulling him closer to her as they went inside their home. She parted her mouth, telling them that she would never leave him and that he would be hers forever, to which he complied. Everything about her was hypnotic to Ulrich. Her scent, her eyes, her smile, and her voice. Anything she wanted would go. Anything that she disliked, he made sure to rid of. If she was happy, Everyone was happy. When she would cry, the world would mourn with her. She was a woman of power and knew how to get what she wanted or who she wanted. There was a time where Ulrich once had smiled at another woman, which enraged her. He had come home later that day from running errands to see a man outside the window, pleading with her to open the door, which she found amusing. Ulrich had to run this man off his land and away from his wife who gave him cold eyes after doing so. Entertain any other woman, and I will go further into entertaining any other man, she hissed. It was then that Yulrik grew stoic to any breathing person who wasn't Veronica. She demanded all of his attention, and he was more than happy to oblige in her sick, twisted ways. He went in to give her another kiss, but when he lifted his mouth, he was faced with a grisly scene. Philippe lay limp in his arms. His dazzling blue eyes were dull. Dracul shot his arms out once more, waking himself up from the dream. His nails stuck to the sides of his wooden coffin. He had to replace the wooden cover on top with a thicker wood, seeing that he broke the other twice now. He should honestly just give himself a stone sarcophagus at this point, if I'm being quite plain. Quickly, he exited his coffin and readied himself for the evening. His mind was burdened with images of both Veronica and Philippe when he saw his messy bed. Suddenly, his mood shifted as last night's events with Catherine flooded his mind. Content, he decided not to go with the same black suit as always, but instead went with a deep maroon suit that shimmered ever so slightly with each movement. As opposed to the usual side part he wore to these ballroom events, he sported a fully combed back hairstyle. Though it was molded back, it wasn't entirely slick to his head, giving him some extra volume. He checked the time on a small pocket watch and left for the dance, knowing Catherine had already left the house, for he could no longer hear her heartbeat. After a lengthy journey in his coach, 
he arrived at the town square, wanting to purchase a black and red handkerchief that would fit his suit when he passed by an empty alleyway that he usually avoided. A flimsy voice called out to him from the dark as a frail old woman stepped out of the shadows and into the moonlight. You. He stopped dead in his tracks, peering at this elderly woman. I know you. I know what you are. What you've done. She limped over towards him. You reek of death. You are evil. Madame, I assure you that I have no clue what you are speaking of. If you wish, I can appoint you to the nearest shelter so that you may find some place to rest your head. I know you, she shouted, waving her bony finger in his face, standing as tall as she could, though never reaching past his chest. Do not act like you know not of the horrors you brought here in this very alley. That man, that poor, poor soul. She shook her head side to side as she covered her face, wailing. Dracul stood there, stunned but never wavering from this place, nor stoic expression. You killed him, and now you wish to do the same to her. That poor woman. You leave her alone. Again, he tried to calm her down when she smacked his arm away from her. Don't you touch me! A trail of pain follows you wherever you go. That poor man knew what you were, and he was deemed mad by you. Dracul recalled many years ago of a man who had gone crazy overnight, for he had seen Dracul's vampiric state when killing an innocent victim in that night. Ever since then, this man was adamant on finding out who this apathetic evil being was until he finally discovered that it was Dracul. No one believed him, of course, for he only spoke a madman's language according to the town, who empathized with Dracul, a man of higher society. He would always deny such things when confronted by this man up until one night, as he was making his monthly rounds. The man showed up from within the same alleyway he stood at now. He accused Rakul of the same things as always, threatening to reveal his true identity as he was able to gather a few people who started to believe in his accusations. Deeming this man too dangerous for Rakul to just leave once again, he drank from him and left him to die. He staged it as a suicide. His memories were interrupted by the elderly woman, who made an attempt to shove him away. You murdered him. You did. You killed him. And now you wish to do the same to his daughter, you vile creature. What? Dracul's people shrank as he digested this information. His daughter? You kill her. You'll kill her! The woman's voice grew louder and louder, causing their cool great concern. Any louder, and she would wake the entire town, catching unwanted attention. She too has gone mad, he thought. He slowly stepped towards her, apologizing to the woman before rushing her into the shadows and taking her life. Rest now, 
and take my secrets with you, as well as yours. Fixing himself up, he staged the woman as though she had passed away unexpectedly and left to buy himself a handkerchief. His daughter? Could it be? After some time, he found himself in his coach in front of a rather sizable mansion in which the ball was being held. The owner of this fine establishment was a flamboyant young man named Signore Roberto Morali, who inherited the mansion from his late father who passed away some months ago. Upon entering as usual, many eyes were on him as some familiar faces welcomed him within the crowd. Though he usually spent much of his time talking with these same men throughout the years, he never truly considered any of them friends, only business. Catherine was really the only human he had ever gotten close to. Well, as of late, that is. Speaking of Catherine, he heard a familiar heartbeat growing nearer and nearer by the minute when he caught a whiff of her sweet flowing scent. My, what a beauty you have, Signore Agresti, one man exclaimed. He turned around to see Catherine enter the ballroom along with two other women who each had a man around their arms both men being twins. His heart twitched as he whispered her name, and though he was a substantial distance away, she darted her head towards his direction, hearing her name being whispered from amongst the crowd. Thank you for listening to episode 30 of Dracul. I wanted to give you all a long episode to celebrate the 30th episode of this series. I also wanted to do it to thank all of you for staying with me throughout the years and supporting my series. Now, we found out some heavy stuff, didn't we? Stay tuned for future episodes by subscribing to this podcast on the platform you're listening to it on. All narration, writing, and music is composed by Priscilla Ibarra. Certain sound effects are from the website Zapsplat. A huge thank you and shout out to my friend and former colleague, Edwin DePaz, for performing Dark Romance specifically for this podcast. Bleep, bloop, blop, with a side of boop, please. 